For the ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase, it's a culture. And the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe. For the safety-minded who watch everyone's backs, Granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry, as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Introducing the SD Podcast channel, your one stop source for all types of podcasts. We are always on the look for new podcasts to join our channel. If there is any topic you would like to discuss, contact us now. We can be reached on all social media such as Facebook, Twitter, and or Instagram. You can also contact us by email or leave us a voicemail at 516-570-9248. So make sure to contact us now so you can start your podcast soon. And now, a beauty production presents... The most awesome podcast to ever embrace a pair of headphones, Sarasso and the Beard. And now, here are your hosts, Nick Sarasso and Jose the Talking Beard Rivera. And welcome to Sarasso and the Beard Podcast, episode 22. I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And we are talking about the Super Bowl a lot today, as it is the Monday just after the Super Bowl with the Eagles beating the New England Patriots, 41-33. to And, Jose, this this was a much different Super Bowl than a few years prior. A ton of offense and just no defense right off from the beginning. Yeah, I mean, we both said that this game was probably going to be a lot closer than what people had originally thought. A lot of people just had the Patriots winning, um, you know, unanimously over the Philadelphia Eagles. But it was a close game. It came down to the final play. A lot of offense, like you said. And the, that was a little bit shocking, even though we know that these two teams can throw up points. You're looking at two of the top defenses in the NFL. The Eagles probably one of the best defenses this year. And the Patriots definitely a top 10 defense, maybe top 5. They did have their moments this year where they slacked a lot this year. Um, but they're still a better defense. So to see both of these teams allow not so much the points, because sometimes points can come left and right, but the yardage. Um, it was like the most yards, I believe, thrown for in Super Bowl history in this game last night. And again, when one of the quarterbacks is Tom Brady, you suspect it. But when the other quarterback is Nick Foles, you're not expecting that much yardage to be thrown for in this game. And, I mean, first off, congrats to the Philadelphia Eagles on winning the Super Bowl, their first championship. The fans, I mean, I'd like to say deserved it, and they certainly had a huge blast last night. Uh, But where did you see at a certain point in the game where you felt the Eagles are going to win this game? And on a further part, with Nick Foles, I mean, he just hasn't played incredible this entire postseason. And the playoffs, including the Super Bowl, he was huge. Do you see him staying as an Eagle to start the 2018 season? Well, to start with your first question, I never felt like there was a point where the where the Eagles had it in the bag, honestly. You know, they jump out to their early lead. I think at one point they were up 24-12. And then the Patriots slowly started coming back. And I bet you a lot of people were saying, oh, here we go again. It's the same thing as last year. You know, Patriots storming back. And the thing is, though, is that when you're facing a team like New England, you should never feel comfortable. You should never feel like you have it in the bag. Go ask the Atlanta Falcons what happened last year. They came right back and took it from them. And again, you got to tip your cap to the Patriots as well, too, because the Patriots, it came down to the final play. Now, realistically, um, towards the end of the game, when the Patriots got the ball back with about 30 seconds left, it probably felt like they weren't going to. But you saw that, that almost that Hail Mary pass. If Gronk would have came down with that, that would have been insane, honestly. And it's because of that reason why you should never doubt the Patriots. They always have a chance no matter how much time they have left on the clock. Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, you know, guys like that. You, you have to leave them basically no time left on the clock in order to feel comfortable with a win. Um, but tip your cap to the Eagles. You know, they um, last podcast, I remember I had said that the 
um, the Eagles defense is going to have to depend on those front four guys on their defensive line getting to Tom Brady. And what really won them the game was that one sack that they got. I believe it was the only sack in the game as well, too. That one sack where they stripped the fumble away from Brady, it was the front four putting pressure on Brady that really led to the ending of the ball game. But I never felt like the Eagles had it in the bag. I mean, tip your cap to them. They stepped up when it mattered the most. But when you're facing the Patriots, you should never feel that comfortable. The second answer to your question about Nick Foles, I honestly don't see him coming back next year to the Eagles. And it's not because the Eagles don't want him, obviously. And it's not because Nick Foles is going to say, oh, I don't want to be a backup QB again. Um, Nick Foles is a decent quarterback. As we said in the last podcast, he definitely deserves a chance to start or compete for a starting job. Um, so, honestly, I could see a team calling the Eagles saying, hey, we'll offer this um, for Nick Foles. There's a lot of teams that will always overpay, either in terms of money and free agency or through trade for a QB that they'll fall in love with in playoffs. It happens in every sport. It happens in baseball. You see the World Series hero get overpaid in free agency. It happens in football. You see the Super Bowl you know, MVP or the Super Bowl hero or the playoff hero end up getting overpaid the next year. It's the same thing with Nick Foles. I can see a lot of teams that either have a QB that's in a starting competition job, like let's say the Browns or the Bears with Trubisky and Deshaun Kaiser, or you have a team that just needs a quarterback like the New York Jets. Um, you know, like a lot of other teams that don't have a QB set in stone that might not get one in a draft or they'll draft the young QB. Those are the kind of teams that might overpay just to get an established QB. And I could see, definitely see them picking up the phone and calling the Eagles. And if you're the Eagles, it's, it would be great to have Nick Foles on your roster again, just in case Carson Wentz has a setback with his leg. But at the same time, if the price is right and you can take advantage of a team that wants Nick Foles, you got to pull the trigger. Yeah. At the end of the day, Nick Foles is going to be a backup to Carlson Wentz. Uh, you would expect Carlson Wentz to be fully healthy to go in the 2018 season. Uh, one of my favorite things I saw before the game even happened was uh, if the Eagles win tonight, uh, Jets fans should be worried because the Jets may pay Foles like $100 million just for beating the Patriots. Uh, but the way I see it, if you go the Jared Dolph approach – and you sit your number one first-round QB draft pick for the entire year, and you need a starting quarterback, Nick Foles is that type of player. So I think there's that kind of reaction that you could see, whether it's the Cleveland Browns, whether it could be, I don't want to use the New York Giants as the example, because they could have Eli Manning, uh, the Denver Broncos or the Arizona Cardinals, but there are certain teams that are or that are going to need an established quarterback if they don't want to go with a rookie that first year and want to sit and want the guy to just hold a clipboard. Foles is the right guy to have, and he's very well system uh, of a quarterback. We saw it work extremely well under Doug Peterson and especially under offensive-minded uh, head coaches. So. I think for a lot of teams that have that type of coach already to begin with, Foles can be a good QB to fight for the number one position. And for me, I'm going to say that really when I felt the Eagles are going to win the football game, like you said, it it came down to the last play to tie the game up almost. And the Patriots certainly had a chance to come back uh, because of that sack fumble. I put them in a tough scenario, but for me, with about five minutes left in the game, fourth and one, the Eagles decide to go for it at 33 down, 
33-32, and I felt that was almost that game-changing moment because it seemed like if the Patriots were going to get the ball right then and there, the game was going to end. And with the Eagles keeping the football, you just knew the way that they've been going offensively that they were going to put up points on that drive, even still having to go another 20 or 30 yards just to put themselves into field goal range that night. Uh, Jose, I know we talked a lot about this when it comes to NFC teams, and there's always a different NFC team representing the NFC in the Super Bowl. We saw the Falcons. We see the Seattle Seahawks. At times, we saw the Green Bay Packers, the New Orleans Saints, the New York Giants, the Eagles this year, the Cowboys, maybe next year. It, it, it's constantly a different NFC team uh, that is always representing for the Super Bowl. But could this be the beginning of a dynasty for the Eagles? I mean, honestly, it could be. It could very easily be. I mean, you have a good young quarterback in Carson Wentz. It's going to be back next year. I mean, I, I said it. I think you agree. I think he's the NFL MVP if he doesn't get injured. And obviously, they give it to Brady instead. But if Carson Wentz finishes the year healthy, and I arguably, I still would have gave it to Carson Wentz. I think Carson Wentz still is the NFL MVP for this year. Um, so that's step one. You have that. You have a good defense. It's going to be back next year. The running back position concerns me a little bit because, again, you do have three good running backs, but they all still are getting up there with age as well, too. You know, Blount is not exactly the youngest running back in the game, and neither is um, Jay Ajayi. All right. So these guys are aging as well, too. Um, but you do have a good wide receiver core. You know, Zach Ertz is going to be back. He's pretty good as a tight end. Um, Alshon Jeffrey, that, you know, that trade ended up proving to be big this year. Him and Carson Wentz hooked up a lot um, for touchdowns this year. Um, so watch that chemistry keep blowing as well, too. I think the Eagles have all the tools in the world to be back next year. Um, I won't say dynasty, though, only because, like you said, the NFC East, um, not, not just the NFC East, but the NFC in general is so competitive. And there's so many good teams that I can't say for sure that the Eagles will be back in the Super Bowl next year. I could say the Eagles might make the playoffs again, but even in their division alone, I feel like the NFC East is still very strong. The Giants had a bad year this year, but I fully expect the Giants to be back next year. If fully healthy, they're a threat to win the division. Same thing with the Cowboys. If Ezekiel Elliott isn't suspended at some point this year, and he's healthy all year long, and he plays every single game with Dak Prescott, and that defense stays healthy, the Cowboys are a threat to win. And now you got the Redskins picking up Alex Smith, who we'll get to in a second. Even bringing in a guy like that, that has a veteran-established focus, it makes Washington better to an extent. And Washington also has a is a legit threat to take that division as well. So in the Eagles division alone, there's four teams that could win that division and make the playoffs. So and then you know and then you look at other divisions like the Vikings. Uh, you have the Falcons. I mean, three teams came out of the South alone this year. Three teams can easily come out of the East. So I mean, the NFC in general is just so tough and so diverse in terms of competitiveness and what each team is actually good at. Um, I think it's hard to say that this will be a dynasty for the Eagles, but I could see them making the playoffs again next year. I just don't want to go a step further and say they're going to dominate like the Patriots have had over the past couple of years. Yeah, it's, it's, it's near impossible and I, I, to replicate what the Patriots have done. I, I think they're truly the greatest dynasty in the NFL uh, in the entire NFL, not just right now, we're talking about all time uh, for me. But when it comes to the Eagles, it, like you said, there's just so many good teams in the NFC, and there's at least two to three NFC teams that are good in each division. And the NFC East is always a very challenging division. You expect the Giants to be a lot better next season. 
Uh, all they got to do is win three games to beat that record. Uh, you'd expect the Dallas Cowboys to be one of the top teams in the NFC again, especially with Elliott not going to be suspended for six games. Seattle didn't even make the playoffs this year. Aaron Rodgers was injured. Uh, when it comes, for me, when it comes to the idea of a dynasty, uh, yes, you can tell me Tom Brady, but what I look at is Bill Belichick. And, and coaching is the big moment for me. And Doug Peterson, I, I mean, it's not just me and what I think, but he had a lot of similarities to Bill Belichick, not only in this game, but just overall. Whatever QB he has creates a different system for that QB. Constantly making adjustments in games, constantly making adjustments against different teams. The willingness to go for it on fourth down. They went for it, I think, 26 times in the regular season. They they made it like 17 times on fourth down. You heard Zach Ertz before the game. In, during this entire media, we talked about one of the differences is it's not just a, a third down and then punting. It's third down to set us up for a fourth down, to constantly put ourselves in a better uh, field position. It was and the, and the knowingness and the confidence that we're going to get there. Uh, you saw it, it with that they're going for the two-point conversion. They're going for it on fourth down and not punting it with five minutes left to go in a Super Bowl. Uh, both these quarterbacks even tried making a catch, and Nick Foles having a touchdown catch. Tom Brady even tried to make a catch earlier in the game. So if there was a reason to believe of a dynasty of the Eagles, and I know I may be over-hyping on Doug Peterson on that part, but for me it's coaching. And and I look at that as being the true difference maker of the idea of a long-term, long-term success. And that could be the reason why, midst into the fact that you do have Carlson Wentz. And this team is pretty much going to be the same as it was this year could be a lot of success for future years to come. But, Jose, was it just me, or did you also see a lot of few, uh, or a few similarities between Doug Peterson and Bill Belichick? Well, I wouldn't call them similarities, so to speak. Um, I just think it's the way you got to coach the game. I mean, this is a Super Bowl, right? It's all or nothing. you got to go for it. Now is the time. If you don't, you lose. You know, there's no tomorrow. There's no game two. There's no next week. You know, so for the Eagles, I think they coached it the right way. And if you want to compare this game to last year's game, you know, a lot of choices that the Falcons made really came back to bite them um, in that game. They didn't run the ball when they were supposed to. With the Eagles, you saw them running the ball a lot, take some time off the clock. So I wouldn't say that Doug Peterson took a page out of Bill Belichick's, you know, his playbook. I think Doug Peterson is a very good coach, and I'm glad they gave him a second chance, even though the Eagles, you know, they missed the playoffs last year. I think they went 7-9 and nine last year. They didn't give up on that. They went with him again this year, and he ended up proving them to be a big asset to the team. I just think he coached it the right way. Um, he's a smart guy, and honestly, again, it's a Super Bowl. It's, it's all or nothing. Uh, you got to coach it like it's your last game you're ever going to play, and he did just that. So tip your cap to Peterson. Um, I wouldn't say he's Belichick-esque just yet, um, but he did do a fantastic job of coaching in the game yesterday. Certainly, yeah. You're not going to be Belichick-esque just yet, but I saw a lot of similarities in the fact that willing to take any risk, and that's a Bill Belichick uh, moment, and I think that's certainly, like you pointed out, it's the Super Bowl. You have to do every means possible in that game, and Doug Peterson certainly did that. Uh, with the Patriots, I, overall, I mean, defense was just terrible by both teams. The Eagles 
and the Patriots, but like you alluded to earlier, the difference is one team had Tom Brady, the other team had Nick Foles. The, the Patriots' defense simply was terrible throughout the game, and one of the big surprises before the game, Malcolm Butler had been sick up to kickoff and, and even appearing on the Ill, uh, with an illness on the Patriots' injury report. And he only appeared on special teams in the first half. He was completely absent on defense the entire game. And while the national anthem is going on, he's going to be told he's going to be benched for the game pretty much because it gives the team a better chance to win. I mean, Jose, this has to be one of the most questionable decisions of of really Bill Belichick. Yeah, it's definitely questionable. I mean, it's not like Malcolm Butler is a scrub. You know, Malcolm Butler, he's not a lockdown corner, but Malcolm Butler is still a decent corner and probably better than anybody else that the Patriots have um, in their secondary. I think it was definitely a questionable move, um, but I learned not to tw- not to question Bill Belichick. Uh, you know, so I think, you know, whatever reason there is behind it, um, Belichick, you know, thought he made the right move. Sometimes it backfires, um, but at this point, it should have, could have, would have. You don't know if it would have been the same result if Butler was playing. Um, however, what I will say, and again, even though I don't quite, I don't like to question Bill Belichick, is that it is a Super Bowl. So if it is a Super Bowl, I want my best players out there on that field. I think there's no doubt that Malcolm Butler is one of the better players on the Patriots' defense, and he probably should have been out there on the field yesterday. This is a guy that played 98% of the team's defensive snaps in a regular season. Uh, in practice, for the last few weeks, he had been getting less snaps and backup guys. And he got replaced by the guy that got scorched on the Alshon Jeffries 34-yard touchdown pass. It, it did not make sense. And there there are times where there's no reason why Malcolm Butler shouldn't have been on that field at certain points in this game. You, you talked about, like, especially the Patriots, who are known for making adjustments, especially in the second half especially in the fourth quarter with their defense. And Malcolm Butt was not on the field at all. Probably one of the freshest guys in the entire game at that point. In, in moments where you know that the Eagles are going to have to pass the ball, you have not had any success. It does not make any sense to me. And yeah, Bill Belichick is going to get the pass on this one because he's Bill Belichick. But I don't think that's the right way to go about this because, yes, Malcolm Butler was not the greatest cornerback in the NFL, but he's still the Patriots, either number one or number two cornerback the entire season. A guy that's played 98% of the team's defensive snaps, he's your go-to guy for consistency. And you're not putting him in the Super Bowl. It's just a really questionable move that I don't understand. Um and I was saying, I know that Bill Belichick doesn't often resign or or sign players to a long, large contract anyway. But if you're Malcolm Butler, you were a Super Bowl hero against the Seattle Seahawks, and you've been playing as a number two, number one cornerback all year. You go to the Super Bowl and you don't play. You're set to be a free agent now. Uh, can you even consider going back to the Patriots? Well, I think it's a possibility. I mean, I think Bill Belichick would want to bring him back in. Um, like you said, he doesn't like signing long-term contracts, but I think this is a guy that Bill Belichick would want back. 
Um, but like you said, if you're Malcolm Butler, you just got, you know, you, you weren't allowed to play in one of the biggest games of your career. I know he's been there before with the Patriots, but, you know, everybody wants to play in the Super Bowl. It's a Super Bowl. It's what you work all year for, right? Um, so I really think Malcolm Butler took a lot of offense to it. You saw him say it after the game yesterday, saying, yeah, I'm mad I wasn't out there. I could have made a difference. And really, once you start screaming and hollering, I think it's very clear to Malcolm Butler, even though the Patriots might want him back, Malcolm Butler, you can probably write it down, and, you know, write it down, set it in stone. He's not coming back to the Patriots. I don't think he's coming back to the uh, Patriots, uh, but I still think he took a really good high road. Uh, yeah, he, he goes out and says, I could have made a difference. And he's supposed to say that. He's supposed to consider himself a good cornerback and a guy that's supposed to do his job very well and a guy who's relied on to do his job very well. So I do think he could have made a difference out there, but he's not throwing anybody under the bus. He's not throwing Bill Belichick under the bus. He's not throwing Matt Patricia. He's not throwing the defensive players. Uh, he's staying quiet in that regard. And I think that that I th- I think is a, a thing that teams should look at highly. Because in the, in a moment where you should be pissed and mad extremely at everyone, he still stays, in my mind, extremely calm for something that he should be extremely mad about. So I, I credit Malcolm Butler on that part. Uh, in this game, I, I mean, I don't want to get into the debate of was Corey uh, Clements and Zach Ertz catches a catch or not a catch to his I'm sure we'll get the back and forth of, you know, if you're an Eagle fan or a fan rooting against the Patriots, then it was a catch. Uh, if you're a Patriot or an anti-Eagle fan, uh, then you'll say the opposite on it wasn't a catch. But I would say this was a game that over 100 million people are watching, uh, where the announcers are completely unsure of were these touchdowns or were they not? Uh, you had both announcers convinced that neither one of them were touchdowns, especially Corey Clement's play. They they were positive that that wasn't a touchdown. And they're going by the rules that exist that neither felt was a catch. And I'll personally say I didn't think they were catches. I, I definitely don't think Corey Clement's was a catch. But does the NFL, after the Super Bowl, after two really questionable calls, have to make a better decision on what is a catch. Well, I wouldn't say after the Super Bowl. They probably should have done this after week two. I'm pretty sure there was a questionable catch in week two as well. I mean, all season long, this has probably been a theme, right? How many times have we came back and said, man, did you see that play from this week's past game? Can you believe they didn't rule that a catch or that they ruled it a catch? Even Roger Goodell said it the other day that he is concerned about the catch rule. This is something that needs to be looked at. And, you know, it's funny because you, you kind of hope that the game doesn't hinder on, on this one play, right? You hope that the game isn't decided on a catch rule and you knew it was going to happen at some point. And it happened twice in this game where the catch rule was very questionable. Even Steelers players are coming out and saying it. Le'Veon Bell and Ray, uh, Ryan Shazier tweeted on Twitter yesterday, man, that Zach Ertz catch looked exactly like the Jesse James catch. But the Jesse James one was not called a catch. But yet yeah, this one was. And, you know, it just... It takes away from the game itself, right? So, because instead of saying, wow, what a play, or man, the Eagles really earned that win, people are going to point to that catch now and be like, well, was that Zach Ertz catch a touchdown that put him in front? Should the Eagles really be up at that point before the strip fumble that they got from Brady? Should the, should the Patriots really be up at that point by one point? 
And what it does is that it takes away from the moment, right? It takes away from the magnitude. And almost sort of, I don't think it taints the Eagles win. I still think the Eagles won this game. But I think it, you know, it adds a little bit of taintedness to the fact that the Eagles were able to come out on top with that touchdown by Zach Ertz. Um, this has to be priority number one going into the offseason, right? And I think the NFL is going to have a lot on their plate this year. Obviously, they're going to have to talk about the anthem protest because people are going to want them to. They have a lot of other stuff to talk about as well, too. But I think priority number one has to be figuring out what in the world is a freaking catch because you cannot go into next season with the same garbage over and over and over and have three different people catch the ball in three different ways and have one get called a touchdown, one a no catch, and the other one a touchdown. It just makes no sense. It takes away from the game. It makes people confused. And again, when the announcers don't even know what's going on, it does not look professional as well either. So this is priority number one going into the offseason. If I'm Roger Goodell in the NFL, you have to figure out what the hell's going on. Yeah, that, that I completely agree with. That This is priority number one. If it wasn't already priority number one. Well, it doesn't seem like it <laughs> based on the way they're reacting. Very much so. But when it comes in the Super Bowl like it did, and I mean not just once, but the last touchdown of the game as well. It's, and it's taking a while for them to figure it out. During the game, there's just it has to be changed, uh, and they have to figure it out in a clearer way to, you know, describe what is a catch, because it can't continue the way it's going. Uh, let's start with a legacy question, though. Is Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, eight total Super Bowls, they're five and three in the Super Bowl now in Super Bowl games. They've been to a ton of AFC championships, but does the loss in your mind uh, hurt the legacy of Tom Brady and Bill Belichick? You know, I don't think it does. Um, I still think this is one of the best, you know, head coach QB combos in the game. I still think Bill Belichick is one of the best coaches in the game in history. I think Tom Brady is one of the best QBs in the game in history. Um, When you look at their dominance of the AFC East and the AFC in general, right? I mean, these guys have been playing together for years, but they've only made it, they've only made it to eight Super Bowls, um, only won five of them. Um, but I also judge it about how they lost the three that they lost, too. You know, I look at that, too, as well. And you can arguably say, you know, they lost twice to the Giants and once to the Eagles, that they did get beat in that game. They got flat-out beat. They weren't slaughtered. They were just outplayed, and they were outcoached. So I think there's no shame in losing um, when you lose the right way, if you know what I mean, right? You're not losing by a slaughter. Um, you didn't cost yourself the game. You tipped your cap to the other team. Congrats, you won the game. So to me, that also adds to it as well. And the fact that the Patriots have never gotten really blown out in the Super Bowl, they never looked like they never belonged, um, and the fact that they were competitive in all the three games that they lost as well, too, um, that to me adds to the legacy as well, too. And it just proves that even though they would have lost, there's nothing left to prove for Bill Belichick and Tom Brady. They're the best to do it. He's the best head coach. He's the best QB. I will say it would be nice for them to add one more ring. That way it just evens out. That way they're not, you know, that way they're not five and three. Six and three sounds better than five and three. Um, but no matter what happened yesterday, win or lose, these two are still the best to ever do it. Um, I will say that it does depend on how they lose a the Super Bowl, maybe. But again, the Super Bowls that they've lost in the past, they've truly lost those games, and they still were competitive to the very end in all three. I mean, I, I don't value record as much in the Super Bowl as other people do um 
especially if you're talking basketball, record is always a huge thing. Uh, getting there, I think, is a huge success. Getting there as many times as they have, eight times is incredible. Going to a, as many AFC championship games, like you said, greatest head coach of all time is Bill Belichick. Uh, simple stat on him, 18 players undrafted on the team this year, and he, they made the Super Bowl. Tom Brady, 500 plus passing yards, most all time in a Super Bowl, most all time in a playoff game. Who did get? Who got knocked out in that game? Brandon Cooks is number one receiver. The entire year they're without Julian Edelman, which is supposed to be their number one or number two receiver, depending on you know how you view Brandon Cooks in that regard. This team constantly got it done throughout the year. They they still kept it extremely close. They're winning with less than five minutes to go in the Super Bowl. So, in my mind, no, this this is still the greatest quarterback and the greatest coach of all time. And, and losing a Super Bowl, be it as it may, by eight points in this uh, regard, it does not hurt their legacy at all. I, I don't want to say it improved it, but it still shows excellence. The fact that Tom Brady's throwing over 500 yards in a Super Bowl still shows excellence. Three touchdowns, uh, it, it coming extremely close to winning their sixth. Um, Jose, for the Patriots, uh, it's easily one of the greatest sports uh, dynasties of all time. Uh, but this could be reaching the ending point pretty soon. You have Tom Brady talking about. He's 41 years old, and you don't really know how long he's going to continue. Bill Belichick, you don't know how long he's going to continue. And now Rob Gronkowski saying he's not sure if he's coming back next season. Both the offensive uh, defense coordinators may be leaving. There's no plan B from Tom Brady eventually. Uh, is there a lot of concern in your mind when it comes to the Patriots within these next couple of years? Well, I'm not going to say there's a lot of concern. I, I am concerned a little bit. I can't lie about that. Um, but if you're telling me that Bill Belichick doesn't have a plan at least, or the Patriots don't have a plan, um, for this kind of scenario, then I think we're kind of talking crazy a little bit, right? We're talking about one of the best franchises in the history of sports, the dynasty, one of the best dynasties in the history of sports, not having a plan on what to do afterwards. And I understand the, the Patriots basically traded away all their QB depth. So to me, that's a sign that they don't think Tom Brady's going to retire. Um, Bill Belichick could retire at any moment, but Honestly, again, I feel like if Bill Belichick was planning on retiring, then you don't let Matt Patricia take the job in Detroit, right? You don't let Josh McDaniels, who's expected to take the job in Indianapolis, right? You don't let that happen because then one of those guys would probably get promoted from within. So I think there's a plan in place um, for when those guys do decide to hang it up. I think there is some communication, despite what you heard about the, you know, the fallout between Belichick, Brady, and Robert Kraft and you know, Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, despite all that, I do think they have a plan. Now, if you ask me who's most likely to retire out of the three, I think Rob Gronkowski could be a serious consideration to retire. Um, even though that, I mean, it might be a big impact on the Patriots, but you still have Brandon Cooks coming back, um, uh, who's still young and in his prime. Um, the Patriots still have a lot of other operations, uh, you know, options too on the offense. To me, Gronkowski seems like the most likely to retire. Why? Cause he's still young. And two, you know, he's also a celebrity outside of the sport, too. This is a guy that can easily make a lot of money, um, the same amount of money as being hit on a football field than also doing like what Michael Strahan does, you know, being on a TV show, being a sports analyst, being on MTV, 
Gronkowski likes that stardom. He likes that camera power. So I wouldn't be surprised if Gronkowski does hang it up um, from the Patriots to Patriots to pursue, uh, you know, his other goals. But again, I'm concerned a little bit because again, stuff like this can change on a dime at the snap of a finger. This dynasty can come crashing down. But I do think the Patriots do have a plan in place, and I don't think Belichick or Brady are hanging it up anytime soon. And if they do, I truly believe that they do have a plan B. Right now, I don't think there's a plan B. Uh, the plan B was Jimmy Garoppolo, and he's gone. Uh, so if they were to retire tomorrow, there's there should be all hell's panic uh, when it comes to the New England Patriots. But as long as Bill Belichick's going to be there for the draft, as long as he's going to be there f- when it comes to free agency, uh, you expect uh, Bill Belichick to draft a quarterback at some point this year. Uh, or if not this year, next year. But he's certainly going to have to develop a replacement plan for Tom Brady if Bill Belichick is going to stay that one. But this is this is a tough moment. And this is going to be a real test for the team. And yes, do, do I think Bill Belichick and Tom Brady can handle it? Of course. Uh, they can handle anything, it seems like. Whoever gets injured at times. But you're still losing your offense coordinator. You're still losing your defense coordinator. You still have a quarterback that's 41 years old just going into the 2018 season. It's not going to be long in my mind before the fact that there's the point of no return of you're going to need an entire new reboot. Luckily, they play in the AFC East, and there's not really anybody that's going to really push them around too much so they should be fine this year maybe even next year if Tom Brady and Bill Belichick return and Rob Gronkowski return but there certainly has to be some type of plan that Bill Belichick is going to do within the next couple months or year because that's where the Patriots are at you you need a new plan you need a plan B whether it's a plan B for two years from now or a plan B from five years from now I there's certainly a lot of question marks when it still comes to the Patriots. Uh, one of my favorite parts of the Super Bowl, other than the game, has to be the commercials. Uh, it's it's always entertaining. Uh, the money that they put through for these commercials at times, and we always are talking about you know the hits or misses when it comes to the commercials. So Jose, what was your favorite or favorite two commercials, or one that stands out to you during the Super Bowl? Well, I mean, they were all pretty good this year, but I think the one that stood out to me, it really was only one of them, my favorite one of them all, um, which I think I can speak for many Giants fans, was this is probably the, our, our, the highlight of the Giants season. I uh, was watching the Odell Beckham and Eli Manning commercial um, due to Dirty Dancing uh, reenactment. I thought it was hilarious as hell. Uh, Eli's footwork is terrible. Don't ever put him on Dancing with the Stars. Um, just the whole thing about it was funny, and it, it was kind of embarrassing that the offensive line did a better job of dancing there than they do in terms of protecting Eli as a quarterback. But nonetheless, uh, it was the highlight of the Giants' year for a terrible year. Um, I think it was a really funny commercial. And it's, it, it's, it's funny. It fits with the theme, and I just thought it was a great time. Yeah, I I love that commercial when it went on. I mean, first off, completely surprised uh, to see the both Eli and Odell, and then to start dancing just was hysterical uh, for me. But my other favorite, other than uh, Eli and Odell, Danny DeVito. Coming in as the human version of the red M&M. After years of seeing the red M&M commercials and then wanting to go human, I thought it was just 
great on the pitch of Danny DeVito representing the Red M&M. So that was one of my favorite commercials as well. Uh, but overall, a, a lot of hits, a couple of misses when it came to the Super Bowl commercials. But I, I think everyone, especially in New York, is going to remember the Eli and Odell Dirty Dancing commercial. Uh, staying with football for away from the Super Bowl, though, Alex Smith was traded to the Washington Redskins, and Chiefs received the 2018 third-round draft pick and a cornerback, Tendall Fuller. Uh, for Alex Smith, he agreed to a deal with the Washington Redskins, four-year contract, $94 million, 71 of it guaranteed. So, Jose, your thoughts on the trade and what now will be the new starting quarterback for the Washington Redskins in Alex Smith? Well, first of all, I think the trade was something that you know was going to happen eventually, right? Um, the Chiefs selected Patrick Mahomes in last year's draft class, which basically already started the you know it started the time clock on you know the uh, the hourglass basically on Alex Smith's career as a Kansas City Chief, right? You figured Alex Smith was only had one year left once you saw Mahomes' name gets called. Um, they gave Mahomes the clipboard all year, and they ran with Smith for one final year. The Chiefs couldn't get it done under Alex Smith, so now they trade him. Most likely, Patrick Mahomes will be the starting QB next year for the Chiefs. It's smart. He's the younger QB. Um, going forward, Mahomes is your guy. You're going to build around him. And, again, he, he did the approach of holding a clipboard, and you are learning from a good QB. Alex Smith is a good quarterback. Let's just get that straight, right? He's not garbage. He's not trash. Unfortunately, he's always going to be a stopgap QB. You saw it in San Fran. You know, when Colin, Once Colin Kaepernick took over, Alex Smith became you know tradable. They traded him to the Chiefs. Now that Patrick Mahomes is there, he's traded again. But what's interesting to me was the commitment that Washington is showing to Alex Smith. This is a guy that's been a career stopgap quarterback. And now we have Washington committing four years to him. Um, Do I think it's a good move? Sure. Again, Alex Smith is a good quarterback. My only concern, though, is that you're giving him $71 million guaranteed. Alex Smith is not a proven winner, though. Alex Smith has gotten to the playoffs, but he's never proven that he can take that extra step forward. We didn't get to see him do it in San Fran. Every time Kansas City makes the playoffs, they end up choking at some point or another, whether that's him or Andy Reid. That question still has to be decided, honestly, or maybe if it was both of them together. Maybe it's a fresh start now for Alex Smith. But if you ask me, if you're Washington, did Washington get better is the real question here, right? The Chiefs did their thing. The Chiefs did what they have to do. They got rid of Alex Smith. They got some, they got some stuff back in return. Patrick Mahomes is a QB. So really, Kansas City is irrelevant in this trade. The trade is really about Washington. Did they get better by bringing in Alex Smith? And now basically saying bye to Kirk Cousins, right? Because you're not going to have Cousins and Alex Smith. Did they get better, though? Because to me, Kirk Cousins and Alex Smith is almost identical quarterbacks. Now, obviously, different style of play. Kirk Cousins is more of a long threat passer. Alex Smith, short, you know, short pass kind of guy, hand the ball off to my running back. And maybe that's what Washington needs to change up the flow of that offense. But to me, they did not get better. <clears throat> Excuse me. They just brought in a, a QB that's similar caliber of Kirk Cousins. And I'm not sure, but I think they might have paid more for Alex Smith than they would have of Kirk Cousins. I just think Washington probably would have been better off bringing back Cousins more than Alex Smith. Oh, looking at the stats, Cousins for, uh, threw for more than 4,000 yards each of the last three seasons. In those three seasons as well, 25 or more touchdown passes. Smith. Just over 4,000 passing yards last season, only once of 25-plus passing touchdowns. 
obviously the interceptions are always a key factor when you're talking about uh, quarterbacks, when you're talking about touchdowns. You can't look away from interceptions, and Alex Smith does not turn over the football. Kirk Cousins, I mean, yes, he's going to throw more interceptions than Alex Smith, but he's not throwing like 20-plus a season. It's usually like 12, 13, maybe 14 at max, which is still, I mean, won a game on average, but it's not the end of the world. It's not something you won't take. Uh, Kirk Cousins is certainly the more offensive player of the two. He he's much more of the uh, of a threat as a quarterback, whereas Smith is more of a you know a, a clock management. Uh, he's going to get the ball down. He's going to get the team downfield. He's certainly just going to take a little bit longer to get so. Uh, one of the big challenges, though, is I mean, it's so weird to see. Alex Smith get a $23 million per average contract uh, on a four-year extension, replacing Kirk Cousins, a guy who he hasn't really been the same offensive production as Kirk Cousins. And, I mean, let's also remember the one big thing, Kareem Hunt. I mean, Alex Smith has had a great running back usually with him every single year. Kirk Cousins did not have that this year. I don't think he had it last year. And there's not really any time where Cousins has really had a good running back. So this is going to be a really tough moment for Alex Smith because it's going to be relied on him a lot more passing. And the consistency that comes from it, I don't really necessarily believe in. So here's what I'm wondering on your part, Jose, though. Um, You look at Cousins. And obviously his numbers are better than Smith, but Washington decided to choose Smith over Cousins. They could have technically paid him just about the same amount of $23, $24 million. I, do you view that as like a concern in your eyes when it comes to other teams, that they're opting with a whole different starting quarterback? Um, no, I mean, I just think this is a scenario where Washington probably wanted a fresh start. Um, Washington is probably thinking, hey, let's get a, you know, they probably think they're getting a better deal um, with Alex Smith. But honestly, again, if I'm Washington, I would just would have stuck with Kirk Cousins. Kirk Cousins is not a bad quarterback. Honestly, what did he have to work with this year? Not much. So I think this is going to come back to bite Washington in the butt, uh, especially because there's going to be a lot of teams that will gladly sign up for Kirk Cousins based on the way that he played the past couple of years. And with that, um, for Cousins, he's expected to be a free agent. He's a free agent in March. Uh, Look, we always say this. I know there's a ton of young top QBs coming in the draft. There's even some good free agent QBs. Drew Brees sticks out, but, I mean, I'm sure he's going back to New Orleans. Uh, Every Viking quarterback, I think, is a free agent this year. But four cousins. I know it's early, but what team in your mind should be pursuing cousins in free agency? So this might be a surprise one. Um, I'm going with the Cleveland Browns. Uh, I know that they were in on the Alex Smith trade. We got reports of that, right? But to me, if Cleveland brings in Kirk Cousins, right, you can still keep Kaiser on the bench. Kaiser's still very young. He can learn from Kirk Cousins. But it also kind of expedites that process, right? You already have Josh Gordon coming back. He's reinstated. He looked good in the little bit of games that he played last year. Now get Josh Gordon a full summer of of training camp. I think Josh Gordon will get back to where he was a couple years back <clears throat> when he didn't have his drug problem, right? And if you bring in Kirk Cousins as your QB, you don't have to waste a draft pick on a quarterback this year, right? Finally, 
they wouldn't have to do that. But instead, you can expedite the process of either getting more better defensive players or getting more offensive weapons. Maybe you get that running back from Penn State and Saquon Barkley. Maybe you get a better wide receiver as well, too, to pair up with him. To me, if they bring in Kirk Cousins and expedite the rebuild process faster, because you get an established QB who can make it work with even mediocre receivers. You saw him do it in Washington. He can do it in Cleveland, too. That's, that's certainly an interesting one. Uh, I wasn't even thinking at Cleveland as that scenario, because you have the number one pick and the number, I mean, four pick as well. So you figure they're going with a quarterback. So that would be uh, an interesting move by the Cleveland Browns. And you get a, instead of having to wait on a QB, you have to train as a top draft pitch instead you have a viable option already at qb uh for me the arizona cardinals you know normally in uh bruce Arians retiring Carlson palmer retiring uh it's tough for me to buy into the fact that arizona is gonna want to trade up to try and get a top draft pitch in the later years of larry fitzgerald this is still a good time for the Arizona Cardinals to say, hey, you know, we've been paying Carlson Palmer a lot of money lately. We can add a little bit more, a uh, couple more million, and get Kirk Cousins. Mix that in with David Johnson coming back, and now you have Kirk Cousins with an excellent running back who can also catch the football. A top wide receiver in Larry Fitzgerald, who always seems to find the fountain of youth at times where you question if he's still going to be. Uh, a top wide receiver, and he's always putting up top numbers no matter who's the quarterback. And there's a lot of offensive pieces that the Arizona Cardinals certainly have. If you mix that into a top quarterback in Kurt Cousins, an upgrade from Carlson Palmer, I think Arizona becomes a top threat in that NFC West um, immediately again when you're talking about about the 49ers, an offensive team now with an offensive-minded head coach, the Rams, an offensive team with an offensive-minded head coach, and Seattle just seems to be falling down in the wrong direction. I think if you're Arizona, this is the perfect time to jump in there with offensive players and an offensive-minded head coach and go that route. So I'm looking at Arizona to possibly put some big money towards her cousins and put themselves back into playoff contention. Uh, Jose, we're going to take a little. We're going to take a break from football, which is the NBA trade deadline is coming up this week. And I believe it's this Thursday, February eighth. So I want to throw out a couple names and let's give a grade. One as le- least likely to be traded. Five definitely will be traded. And I want to start with. DeAndre Jordan, where do you see him? To me, DeAndre Jordan ranks as a number four. Um, you know, I, I, I could see the Clippers really cleaning house here. Um, there's a small chance that he probably gets traded, but I think the Clippers are just trying to maximize on as many draft picks as they can, try and clear up enough cat space as they can. That way they can try and sign future free agents, not mentioning any names, um, LeBron James. Um, you know, because you know the Clippers are going to try and do that. Um, so if I see DeAndre Jordan going anywhere, I think it's the Cleveland Cavaliers. Now, to me, the, Cav- what, the reason why I say Cavaliers, and I'm probably going to name a couple guys for the Cavs during this segment, because to me, the Cavaliers are going to do one or two things. Either one, they're going to try and keep LeBron James happy, and they're going to go out there and they're going to make a big splash, and they're going to go get somebody big, and they're going to waste that draft pick that they have from the Brooklyn Nets. So I could see them overpaying for a guy like DeAndre Jordan. There was a report earlier today that the Cavaliers offered J.R. Smith, Tristan Thompson, and their pick 
which would obviously be a late round pick because the Cavaliers probably are going to make the playoffs. So um, they offered that for Jordan, and there's no word yet if the Clippers are interested or if they balked at the offer or not. Um, so we do know that there's interest between the Cavs and Jordan, and I just think it's a good fit for the Cavaliers. You know, they don't really have a center that can rebound. Um, Tristan Thompson just hasn't gotten the job done as a starting center. You bring in Jordan. He plays good defense around the rim. He grabs rebounds. And if Kevin Love can come back, I know this is a debacle with Kevin Love, right, with everybody hating him apparently. But if Kevin Love comes back, he doesn't have to play center. I feel like Kevin Love is at his best when he's playing power forward, when he's a part of the ball movement, and when he's relied upon the score. If you bring in a guy like DeAndre Jordan, you could put Kevin Love back at the power forward position. And I think that makes the Cavaliers just a lot better in general. And, and that makes them very big in their lineup, too. It's a very big lineup. You're looking at the forward positions. Um, you know, you're looking at the front court of LeBron, Love, and possibly DeAndre Jordan. That stacks up well against a lot of teams in the East and in the West. Um, so if I'm the Cavaliers, they're probably going to want to try and make LeBron James happy to try to get him to stay, try to make one more run. I think they could go get DeAndre Jordan. So I have him at a two, I, only because I find it really tough to trade a guy who's going to be still owed $24 million net season. You're going to need a team that's going to have a lot of open cap. And, or the Clippers are going to have to be willing to take – uh, some money back, but uh, if there's a team that I'm looking at for DeAndre Jordan, I'm going to go with Denver. Uh, Jokic, he plays a lot of center, uh, but if you can move him to maybe a power forward position, Denver could really use another big man. They haven't really been getting success other than from Jokic, and this is a team that's currently sitting in eighth. They just came off a win at home against the Golden State Warriors. That would be possibly the team that they're going to have to play if they held, you know, if they continue where they're at right now. I certainly think Denver has the ability to move up to at least a sixth, maybe even a fifth spot. Um, and Denver, I think, could be really good. They've been incredible at home this season, 21-7. and I think a move to add DeAndre Jordan could work out well. And one of the big reasons I'm looking at it is, you know, Wilson Chandler is seeing 30 minutes a game nearly on average. That's a guy that's got to go in my mind. And I think of DeAndre Jordan, Wilson Chandler, and including another player by Denver, it could get you in the right direction. And Chandler can take a lot of the bulk of DeAndre Jordan's salary. So I'm looking at Denver maybe for DeAndre Jordan. What about- the only thing that concerns me, though, about Denver, sorry to cut you off there, nope. though, is that they do still have Paul Millsap as well, too who is expected to come back from injury. But the only way I would pull the trigger from Denver is if I know Paul Millsap's, not, Paul Millsap's not coming back for sure this year. He certainly missed a lot of time, though. That's the only... The, yeah. My, my concern with Paul Millsap is that he's been out for a very, very long time. and I, I'm not really sure the timetable on him, though. Uh, but what about Paul George? Yeah, to me, Paul George is a one. I don't see OKC throwing in a towel here. I think OKC is going to play to the very end. And I think OKC actually has a really good chance of re-signing Paul George. I think Paul George, you heard him say it, he loves playing with Russell Westbrook. He loves Westbrook's attitude. And I feel like Paul George is the perfect player to pair with Westbrook, right? Well, even though Westbrook and Durant was a great combo, you know their personalities clashed a lot sometimes because they both want to be the alpha male. If you watch the OKC, you know if you watch OKC play, there's a good chemistry between the three of you know George, Westbrook, and Anthony. So I can really see Paul George wanting to stay in OKC with Russell Westbrook. Um, he raves about playing with Westbrook. I think I think the Thunder would love to have Paul George back. Um, 
I think there's always a possibility that Paul George ends up going to the Lakers because that's where his hometown is. But I do think the Thunder have a shot to re-sign Paul George, and I think he uh, he's staying put at the deadline at least. Yeah, uh, I'm going to give it a one. The only team, because, I mean, if you're trading Paul George and if you're the team that's getting him, what's the chances you're keeping him that season? Highly unlikely. I think Paul George is going to say that if he stays the full season with OKC, he may stay with OKC. And if he doesn't, he's going to the Los Angeles Lakers, in my mind. If he gets traded before the trade deadline, which it doesn't seem like there's any rumors about him going anywhere, I don't think there's any question that he's going to then say, okay, I'm a free agent, I'm going to go wherever I want, and most likely that's going to be Los Angeles. How about another big-name star? I'm, I'm going to throw this one out there, Mark Gasol. Yeah, to me, Gasol, that's another one. Um, although it would make sense probably for the Grizzlies to start cleaning house and maybe rebuilding a little bit, I just don't see the Grizzlies doing it. Um, you know, you're going to get Mike Conley back next year at full health. Obviously, he's going to miss the rest of the season this year. It's been a terrible year all the way around. But I think if you get a new head coach, you get a, a healthy Mike Conley, um, pair him back up to Mar- with Marc Gasol, I think they will be better at least next year, at least. Yeah, this is uh, – Marc Gasol is like the face of this team. I, I mean, Michael Conley may be making a lot more money than Marc Gasol, <coughs> but at the end of the day, I, I can't see Marc Gasol going anywhere. Uh, I will say, though, that it's more likely that Marcus Gasol gets moved in the offseason. I just don't see it happening here at the deadline. That I could see. It, there's just – there are more pieces I think Memphis is trying to move, and I don't think Marcus Gasol is the out immediate piece. But staying with Me- Memphis, Tyreek Evans is an interesting one because he is rumored uh, to possibly be traded, but Memphis has uh, acted a little bit different when it comes to Tyreek Evans. They've benched him pretty much this entire week uh, and last week, and they're not going to play him till after the trade deadline because they don't want him getting hurt. They are really looking to trade him. So where do you look at, at first uh, as a team move? Do you like the fact that you're benching Tyreek Evans or do you not? No, I, I don't like it personally because if I'm a team that's interested in Tyreek Evans, I want to see him play. I want to keep seeing him play. I want to keep seeing him improve his trade value right now. To me, if you're the Grizzlies, you're kind of you're kind of stalling his trade value, so to speak, because if you're keeping him on the bench, you know what are you hiding? Are you afraid he's going to get hurt? Are you that desperate to move him? To me, that doesn't give you leverage because if I'm an opposing team, I'm going to tell the Grizzlies like clearly you want to move him. That's why you're benching him because you don't want him to get hurt. So I mean, this means that you want to move him. That means I'm not going to offer my best package available because you want to get rid of this guy. Uh, I'm not saying they want to get rid of him from a personal standpoint, but clearly the Grizzlies are trying to get something back to help them in the future. And I just don't agree with not playing the guy, um, especially if he doesn't move anywhere. Uh, what if he doesn't get traded? He's going to start playing again out of a random, out of random openness. Um, I don't think that's going to help Tyreek Evans either if he's going to even want to stay in Memphis because of this. Now, um, I do think he does. He does get traded though. Um, for a guy like him, I could see him going to a team like Boston, maybe Detroit, um, or even a team like the Bucks. I mean, I think he's at one of those flexible pieces that you can start him. You can have him coming off the bench. And I think a lot of teams in the East, definitely an Eastern Conference team, is going to want to ask about Tyreek Evans to help bolster their lineup. I mean, Evans, 31 minutes a game right now. That's his most since 2014. Uh, 46 games played this season. You'd have to combine uh, 2016, he played 40 total. 
In 2015, he played 25. He's averaging 19.5 points per game. His career high is his rookie year when he averaged 20. Uh, since then, his highest was his second season when it was 17. So he's putting up top numbers this season. He's on a one-year contract. He's not owed much money this year. He's only at $3 million, so it's even less by this point. Uh, free agent at the end of the season, this is a five. Uh, because Memphis is, like we said, they are trying to trade other pieces. They're purposely not playing Tyreek Evans because they want to trade him and they don't want to hurt his trade value. Uh, I think he gets dealt, and I think if you're any playoff team, you should be interested in Tyreek Evans because of the fact that Michael Conley's been injured all season long. So with Evans getting a lot of playing time, we've seen him at point guard, we've seen him at shoot guard, uh, shooting guard, we've seen him at small forward, we've seen him multiple positions. Defensively, he's pretty good. He's still passing the ball extremely well, averaging five assists per game, and I really like him going to the Milwaukee Bucks. Uh, this is Milwaukee. We we know Giannis, we know Chris Middleton, Eric Bledsoe. Uh, they're all averaging twenty points a game, but the bench is doing. Nothing. I think Tyreek Evans can really help that bench out, especially when those starters aren't playing at the moment. Malcolm Brogdon, he's out six to eight weeks. That puts him at near April returning, right before the playoffs. You can have him getting a lot of minutes if you're Evans and trying to get higher in the Eastern Conference because he'll replace Brogdon as a starter. It makes a lot of sense for the Bucks if they go with it, but yeah, honestly, I think Tyreek Evans makes a lot of sense for any playoff team that needs an extra bench player uh, that can actually put, create their own shot. Uh, how about Kemba Walker? We spoke a little bit about him in our last podcast, but do you see him going anywhere? Uh, I do not. I have him at a two. Um, you know, it's going to be a deal that's really going to blow the Hornets away in order to trade Kemba Walker away. I just don't see any team really breaking open the bank um, to go and get him in terms of draft picks. I mean, I think a lot of people would point to Cleveland and say, well, what if they offer that number one pick, Brooklyn's pick? But I also don't think Cleveland's going to do that. I think Cleveland's going to play a little bit more conservatively because, again, once LeBron leaves, they're not going to have anything, so they're going to want to hold on um, to that number one pick. Um, again, this is another guy kind of like Marcus Gasol. I could see him getting dealt in the offseason where there's more time to talk about this kind of stuff, to have serious trade talks. Um, but I don't see Kemba Walker getting moved at all at the deadline. I'm going to put it at a three. I there's not an immediate rush to trade Kemba Walker. He's still on contract for next season. Like you said, it gives you the entire offseason to possibly trade Kemba Walker. Um, it's tough because I don't know what Cleveland's actually going to do. It's going to be really tough to see, especially with Kevin Love going down. They're going to have to make either a lot of moves or nothing and be and stall, and it's not going to result well for them in the playoffs. But if they are trying to try and make some big moves, Kemba Walker, to me, is the right guy to go to. Of all the players we've named, Kemba kind of resembles that Kyrie Irving-like player. Uh, as a guy that roots for a lot of the Knit games, I'd love to see the Knits try and make a move for Kemba Walker. I think he has a better fit with the New York Knits than if he goes to the Cleveland Cavaliers. And so if the Knits are going to try and make themselves a real competitor for next season. They may try and go a little bit early and see how a fit for Kemba Walker and Christos Porzingis and really get Nick fans excited uh, for possibly a playoff push this season and for expecting playoffs for next season. So I, 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 if they go with, if the Knicks go for it, 
that could be the only reason, but there's no immediate rush to trade Kemba Walker. Lou Williams of the Clippers. I mean, we've we've heard his name. He got traded last year. He got traded in the beginning of the in the offseason with Chris Paul. Uh, Jose, do you see him getting traded uh, this before the trade deadline? Uh, honestly, I, I think so. I mean, I think this is a guy that's definitely a five. And like you said before, I think any team that's in playoff contention should be looking to acquire his talents. I mean, you saw what happened last year when he was on the Rockets. Um, this guy is a dynamic as it gets, uh, three-point specialist. He would help a lot of teams out there. Um, again, definitely I'm going to say an Eastern Conference team should be definitely on him. I can't pinpoint which one, only because he would help so many, honestly. Uh, I think I think this is definitely a guy. And if you're the Clippers, you need to capitalize on his value right now and try and get as much for him as you can because there might be some teams that are willing to overpay. This is another five for me. Uh, Tyreek Evans is the first. Lou Williams is second. Uh, it's one thing to add a starter and have to deal with a little bit of challenges, but when you get a backup uh, bench player that's putting in so much success like Will, Will Williams can do and offensively creates his own shots extremely well, you need that type of scorer in the playoffs. And I'm going to throw Denver out there. Uh, again, I think Denver is going to make a move with the, uh, the Clippers. Uh, I, if the Clippers are trying to get some extra pieces for next season, I, I look at them and I think they'll take the risk on Emmanuel Moutier. And I think he would be either put into that DeAndre Jordan or a Lou Williams type trade. Moutier, who was a first round pick in 2015, he's really been a miss for Denver, but on a new team, given new opportunities and just a new change of atmosphere, I think that could be the right fit. And and that could be a good enough price for Lou Williams. If you get Emmanuel Moutier and maybe a draft pick as well, I I think you can consider that a win if you're the Clippers looking into the future. Uh, How about George Hill? Yeah, I'm going to label this at a three. Um, I could easily see teams lining up to get him, but I could also see Sacramento standing pat and keeping him. To me, though, I think it's a little further, closer to a three or a four, um, because this is why you get a guy like George Hill, right? You get him so you can trade him off later on. Sacramento not going anywhere this year. They don't really need George Hill. They need draft picks. They need other young players. Um, so to me, I could see him going to the Cleveland Cavaliers. This is what the Cavaliers, I think, will do. They'll play it conservatively. They need someone that's going to help out this team. Derrick Rose is not getting it done. Um, there's chemistry issues over there. So I could see them, you know, just to keep LeBron happy again and not break the bank and go get DeAndre Jordan, even though they still probably could. I could see the Cavaliers more realistically getting a guy like George Hill saying, hey, we got you somebody to try and help. He can come off the bench. We've seen him do it in Utah. You know, he can get the job done. And I think the Cavaliers can, you know, feel better about themselves saying, hey, we tried to help you, LeBron. We got you, George Hill. Um but I could definitely see him going to a team like that. I'm, I'm going to put it da- uh, down extremely low uh, at a one. I, I don't know if George Hill gets dealt. I, yes, it's the Kings, and, and they're in dead last in the Western Conference. They expect to be one of the top draft pits this year. You, you would always consider them trading off anything that they have can build up to the future. But I just don't think there's a necessary want or love for George Hill, and I think teams are more going to go after uh, small forwards, shooting guards, uh, than grabbing a point guard. So I, I don't know if George Hill gets traded, but if he is, he's one of the top point guards out there on this trade block. Uh, Avery Bradley as well is 
uh, up in the air. We we heard when he was traded already, but do you see him getting traded again? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's definitely a possibility. I mean, I mean, it's just you know, there's so many names that can go around the trade deadline. I think it just makes the most sense to move him at this point. Um, you know, there's not a lot going on for him right now where he's at. Um, so I think it's definitely you can see his name being traded out there as well too. Yeah, I look at this and say this is another one that could be a really good possibility uh, for the Clippers. It, it, it's harder to cre- trade DeAndre Jordan because he has that extra year, but Avery Bradley is a free agent at the end of this season. There's no worries about contracts when it comes to Bradley, so a team that takes him on, he's still pretty good defensively. Offensively, there's a lot of question marks, but you know, to get a defensive guard, you'll take that any time. Uh, I'll leave it with two last guys on the list uh, and two big men. Uh, Julius Randle, do you see him going anywhere? No, I have that as a one. Um, even though he is an interesting name, I feel like the Lakers are giving up on him. I feel like his time as a Laker is running up, and I feel like the further this rebuild goes, the more it is not a place for Randle going forward. But really, one, I don't think he has a lot of trade value. I don't think you can get anything for him. So I think for the Lakers, you're better off just standing pat with him. Uh, for me, I'm going to put it as a two. Uh, and there's only one team that I think is going to trade for Julius Randle, and that's the Dallas Mavericks. You know, This is a team that signed Noel. Uh, he's hurt right now. They have Shocker. A, you know, <laughs> they have a lot of open minutes. Uh, they, they play Dirk, and Dirk is their highest scorer when it comes to big men. I think Julius Randle could really, if he gets traded, which Los Angeles wants to trade him away, they're not going to get much for Julius Randle. But the Dallas Mavericks are that type of team that will give an extra opportunity to certain players. And I think Randall is one of those guys that deserves a, a chance in a new situation and a new environment. And Dallas seems like that right team because there is nothing to look at in a positive direction when it comes to their big men at power forward and center. And I think Julius Randall can provide a little bit of a, a positive reaction and, and a guy that you know could stay with Dallas long-term after this off, after this season if they go that route and trade for Julius Randle. And I'll throw one last out there because uh, I'll the Nick, but Willie Hernandomez, where do you, uh, do you see him as a possibility? It's It seems like it was talked last season, not as much this year, but any chance he gets traded? Uh, no, I also have that as a one. Um, I think his name is definitely going to pop up in trade talks because if the Knicks want to move anybody – I think right now he's probably their highest trade chip available, plus any draft picks they have. But keep your eye on this. During the offseason, I think the Knicks might be a good matchup with the Hornets to try and trade for Kemba Walker. And again, this might just happen in the offseason because there's just more time to talk about it. But don't be surprised if Hernan Gomez's name pops up more in the offseason um, to acquire a big star like that. Not so much here at the deadline. Yeah, I, there's only, I have it at a three, and I'm only putting one real team out there, but the San Antonio Spurs. Yes, they have Marcus Aldridge and Pau Gasol, but they don't really have any backups from there on, and I really like Hernan Gomez as that rebounding backup that can really just make a little bit of an impact pretty quickly just for a couple minutes in that game. I think that's a positive part for the Spurs to consider on, uh, you never know with Pau Gasol and the risk of having him sometimes. And for me, they just the Spurs have not gotten production enough from their backups at power forward and center. And I think Hernan Gomez can really add to that. And you can go with Pau as a power forward in some scenarios or Hernan Gomez as a power forward, depending on where you're looking at it. 
And I think it's a good fit with the Spurs if the Knicks decide to move them. But like you, it, it, they the Knicks should be considering more of a Kemba Walker-like move, and it could involve Hernan Gomez in that scenario. Uh, with that, let's jump into Beardback, as it is February 5th today, I believe. I was writing some sits down earlier, but February 5th, and we're going to take a look back, and I'm going to start in 1989, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar becomes the first NBA player to store 38,000 points. LeBron James got to 30,000 just a little while ago. And in 1989, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar becomes first player to reach 38,000 points. Uh, and then from there, of course, we were talking a lot about the Super Bowl today. But that's also because there have been three Super Bowls occurring on February 5th as well. In 2006, the Pittsburgh Steelers beat the Seattle Seahawks 21-10. to Heinz Ward was the MVP of that game. 2012, we spoke a little bit about the New York Giants in commercials, but there was a time where they were playing in Super Bowls and not winning just two games a season. Uh, they beat the New England Patriots 21-17. Eli Manning won the MVP. That was in the rematch game between the Giants and the Patriots. And even last year's Super Bowl occurring on February 5th, New England defeating the Atlanta Falcons 34-28 in the greatest comeback in Super Bowl history and really in almost NFL history in general, 28-3 at one point, and the Patriots able to come back for the win. Also, first overtime Super Bowl as well. And as always, when we do... Beard back. We also have our dude and dunce of the week, and I mean, it's my dude of the week is pretty simple. It's the guy that played yesterday, Nick Foles, Super Bowl MVP, 373 passing yards, three touchdowns, one interception. He also caught a touchdown pass in the game, but I can't overlook the fact that Tom Brady, 505 passing yards, most all time in a Super Bowl and any playoff game. He also had three touchdowns as well, and a drop catch, but that's besides the point on the drop play. So I'm giving it to Nick Foles, but I just I had to throw Tom Brady out there one last time because if this game ends differently and the Patriots win the Super Bowl, Tom Brady would have been the dude of the week easily. He did post up just as good numbers in my mind, but Nick Foles winning dude of the week, and Jose, who is our dunce of the week? Our dunce of the week is the Empire State Building. Yeah, you heard me right. It's the Empire State Building. Last night, the Empire State Building was lit up in green and white to celebrate the Philadelphia, congratulate, I should say, the Philadelphia Eagles on their win. First of all, what the, what the hell are we celebrating for? We're in New York. We're not in Philadelphia. If the Patriots would have won, I don't want to see it lit up in red and blue and stuff like that. We shouldn't be celebrating other sports cities' teams' victories, okay? They wouldn't do the same for us. They hate our guts. We should hate them, too. Not really. But in terms of spurts, we should hate them too as well too. So officially, hashtag boycott the Empire State Building. I will make it a thing. Yes, my dunce of the week is a building, the Empire State Building. There you have it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we give out dunce of the week and due to the week to some of the strangest choices. Uh, but there were a lot of good candidates, I think, for dunce of the week this week. Uh, oh, there was. Um, Eagles fans for burning down their city after they win <laughs> would have had would have hate to seen what they would have done if they would have lost. Um, I think Tom Brady was also one for a couple of comments he made after the game that I didn't like. 
Um, but I think the building was more appropriate. And Shame even, on you, Empire State Building. I, I, I expected more. Even the Jeopardy show. Yeah, uh, the uh, contestants the on Je- Jeopardy show. Yeah, the contestants on Jeopardy and not a clue when it came to football. Uh, so certainly a lot of different choices, but the Empire State Building takes down the dunce of the week and will be tough for the Empire State Building to pick up a two-time Dunst of the Week award. But as always... You never know. You never, <laughs> you never know. know. <laughs> Interesting enough, the odds on LeVar Ball winning Dunst of the Week has to be coming up soon. You just know it's almost time. Oh, I'm waiting <laughs> for the perfect moment. Don't you worry. <laughs> as always, uh, once again, I am Nick Sarasso. And I'm the Talking Beard, Jose Rivera. And thank you so much for listening to Sarasso and a Beard podcast episode 22. As again, congratulations to the Philadelphia Eagles on winning their first Super Bowl, winning 41-33 to over the New England Patriots. And thank you again for listening to Sarasso and a Beard podcast episode 22.